Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I am here. My favorite part of the week. I love getting to talk to you people that care about food. So here's what we're going to do. We're having kind of a brainy show today. I hope you're ready for get your brainy thinking caps on. Maybe you're, maybe you're inside doing inside things in the rain and ready to... We're ready to have some big thoughts about small microflora. So all uh, people have been talking. It's been very much a thing in food the last year or two. Everybody's talking about, I don't want to say bacteria because that's not quite what I mean, but all the, all the things that can give food flavor in fermentation that are not just yeast. So I always kind of like to think starting with, you know, the yeast that come in that Red Star yeast packet and then you know what that bread tastes like. Then you know what sourdough bread tastes like. It's different, right? There's a whole bunch of different flavors. Well, this is what a lot of people in food are very, very interested about today. And so I've got two of the leaders in all this. I've got Nico Tonks from Fair State. We're going to talk about all of this regarding beer. And then later on the show, I'm going to have Jody Olson-Reed, a friend of the show, which is runs Shepherd's Way Farm down in Nurstrand, that big, big deal cheesemaker. They make beautiful blue cheese. They win a lot of national awards. They're at all the farmers market. They're I think of them as our neighbors who have sheep. And they're gonna Jody's gonna join us and talk about what wild yeast and what bacteria, microflora, all of this all these little critters, what they do for cheese. So we're having a Big brain show about the tiniest creatures who help us in uh, our food production. So that's what we're doing. And I'll have some beer recipes later on. And, of course, I will answer your questions. I have some fun ones already about what is lasagna really? What is it really? Well, you're going to have to wait till the end of the show to find out my thoughts on that one. Uh, so first off, I'm very excited that we've got Nico Tonks right here with me. He's from Fair State Brewing. This is the brewing cooperative that anybody can join. You become a member. I like the organization, the way it works. I like the beer even more. They have one of the like, pretty much my favorite beer festival. Don't tell anyone. Uh, my I, I do play favorites. My favorite beer festival of the year is called Mixed Culture. And what's cool about it is it's about these wild beers. As you know, I'm a wine snob. I like I like things that are interesting and this is to my mind the most interesting beers are these these sour beers, wild culture beers, these interesting. They're not all sour. I feel like when I talk to sour beer novices sometimes people are like, "Oh no, I had one and it was so sour." Like they're not all like that. You might have had a sour one, but like if you go to Belgium, Oh, Belgium. Uh, there's all kinds of different flavors that come from these other yeasts that we don't always use. And, and some of them can be floral flavors or they can be very delicate, but, you know, kind of like it's a, a butter muffin. Like, what's that about? That's Those are wild, these wild yeasts. Anyway, so they're having their mixed culture festival. They're bringing in different brewers from around the country next weekend. 
If you want to nerd out about these wild critters, this is the place to do it. And it'll be next weekend. You can find tickets. If you just hear this, you're like, oh, my goodness, I need tickets right now. Fairstate.coop. But uh, now we're going to talk about all of this, and we'll talk more about the festival later. So, Nico, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. All right. So let's just kind of get into this. I think I am confused about certain aspects of the wild yeast, wild microflora, wild bacteria, whatever they are. Uh, movement versus the the store-bought yeast. So why don't you break it down from your perspective? What would you tell someone you just met on a plane? What's the difference between traditional and the stuff you do? So it's actually, it's really interesting because uh, the the stuff you're talking about, the stuff we do is in a way just as traditional or more traditional than standard beer making. Oh, that's a good point. So if I was a monk from 1521, I'd recognize what you're doing and not what Budweiser is doing. That makes Well, sense. you'd recognize them as the same process, but we've just learned more about microorganisms, microorganisms between then and now. So um, the reason that most beer is made with Saccharomyces, which is Saccharomyces cerevisiae, is the, the yeast that we use for almost all beer. The reason that almost all beer is made using it is that it's extremely well suited to making beer. So over time, people sort of uh, unintentionally and intentionally selected for that yeast because it did what they wanted it to do. So it that's made- one strain of yeast. And if I like, you know, I, I go to work for Budweiser, I can buy that by the pallet. Well, it's one type of yeast and there's many different strains as subsets. And in fact, so uh, we talk about ale yeast and lager yeast. And so there are different types of, of yeast that fit into the sort of the quote-unquote clean beer uh, segment that, that people will refer to as just sort of like the beer that we drink day in, day out. Okay, so the beer we drink day in, day out, like I want to start a massive beer factory. Money's no object. I sit down. I'm like, we're going to have a lager, a y- an ale, a, a porter. And then I just open a book and I'm like, give me 30 pounds of that porter yeast and 30 pounds of whatever – is that what we're talking about? Yeah, that's what everybody does. That's, that's what, what we do. Everybody does, and that's what you do. Yeah. So there are there are a number of labs out there that have done you know a really good job of isolating yeast strains from different breweries, yeasts with known known characteristics. Uh, so say for example, we make a lot of lagers at Fair State. The lager yeast that we use is from the Augustiner Brewery in in Munich. So uh, we Did use they it. Let you have it. Well, it ended up in a yeast lab in Colorado, and we buy it from them. So some people are pretty secretive about yeasts. So Budweiser, for example, uh, the story goes their yeast is delivered from brewery to brewery under police escort because uh, it's 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 top secret stuff. Um, but that you know, sounds like a basis for a good movie where robbers make a mistake. But go on, a very low dollar theft. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, open up the boxes at home. And you're like, oh, <laughs> yeah. But a lot of people are pretty open about this, and the and the fact of the matter is. Yeast ends up in the final in the final uh, beer. So, say somebody you know buys a bottle of Fair State, uh, a mixed firm beer, a sour beer that they really like. They want to make that beer. Well, the good news is the the dregs at the bottom of the bottle contain all of the microorganisms that we use to make that beer. So, if you can give it, it's like feeding a sourdough starter. If you can give it good food, you will get those organisms to grow up again, and then you can use them yourself. But a so, lot don't a lot of breweries like sterilize, filter, do other things to keep that from happening. So these days, uh, increasingly, uh, that doesn't happen. I mean, most beer that ends up on the shelf that's going to be, you know, um, IPA or whatever that's sitting in the in the cooler, for for the most part, you know, people have made 
good faith effort to remove the yeast from that for shelf stability reasons. But um, very few, uh, with the exception of very large brewers, are either pasteurizing or sterile filtering anything anymore. So yeast is around. Yeast is around. Okay, that'll be our theme for the show. It is around. It's all... It's it's on our skin right now. Okay, so but if I'm so back to what you do, what everybody does. So you say like oh, I'm going to make an ale, call up the call up the lab. I get some of special ale yeast, air mailed. So what is the difference between what you do then and what everybody does? Well, I mean, I think that the difference is uh-huh. that. I've trapped you. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm trying to think of the best way to put it because I, I think that people sometimes we get we get hung up on on process, um, and and process is really important. But uh, so if we're making pills, you know, clean lager beer, or if we're making like Lactobac, for example, which is this lemon ginger lemongrass mixed firm sour beer that so takes Lactobac weeks. is one of these wild kind of beers that we'll be trying at mixed culture, and right. it's kind of an example of. You know, as as regular bread is the sourdough, regular beer is to lactobac. Lactobac is your signature thing that has wild bacteria in it or used use wild beasties to get to that flavor. It's got all sorts of stuff in it. But you know, the the process of making them is very, very similar. We 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 make wort uh that that has the characteristics that we want for the finished beer, and then we add yeast to it. Okay, and so the, wort people don't know like that's just the 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 Cheerios and water mix like that's the, yeah, the grain water. and the water together that's what it all starts out. Okay, so yeah. So the, the story wort. goes that brewers make wort. We spend all day slaving away our machinery to make fancy sugar water, and that yeast makes beer. So you know, I think to the point, yeast makes beer. Different yeast is going to make different kinds of beer. So like pills would just be lager yeast, and then it goes through its thing. Lactobac, it, we pitch uh, a saison yeast, which is a type of Saccharomyces cerevisiae. We pitch some Britannomyces, which is a quote-unquote wild yeast. And then we pitch a whole gamut of different acid-producing microbes. So different lactobacillus strains, Pediococcus, which is another lactic acid-producing organism. And then those things, we refer to that as a mixed culture. So it's a, it's a whole bunch of different bugs so working in conjunction. Is this analogous to, you know, if I'm going to make soup, I'm going to put chicken in it and I might put some peppercorns maybe some parsnips like are all of the the way that you're using bacteria is the same way that I would build flavor in a soup by using different elements is that analogous to kind of sort of except that we're also making soup like quite literally we're we're making barley soup and we there's a whole bunch of flavor elements that come from that as well so in the example of this particular beer you're getting uh, a lot of you're getting all the acid is coming from um, these microorganisms. Okay, so there's that. And okay, then, so just for people, so when the bacteria like they you know lead their lives and they excrete uh, acid, they that's why yogurt turns sour. That's a an yeah. example. Yep, and this is actually a lot of the very same species that you would use in yogurt. Um, so it's lactic acid in this case. There's a bunch of different kinds of acid. If we were to add fruit, we'd be if it was citrus, we'd be getting a whole bunch of citric acid, and that would give us one character. But in this case, we're looking for lactic acid, which is a pretty soft, round, palatable, not super harsh acid. Right, and so everybody wants lactic acid. Winemakers want it. They add uh, the bacteria that create. They call it malolactic fermentation to 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 get those things that give it a nice tartness because a, a wine without tartness doesn't it just feels flabby and and terrible in the glass. So you're that's something you're adding. Yep. And and that's actually a really good example because that malolactic fermentation they're using lactobacillus to 
move malic acid, which is very harsh, to lactic acid, which is less harsh. So it just goes to show why we're after this lactic acid. It's, it's the one that everybody wants. So that's where we're getting acid from. But at the same time, you know, a lot of the flavors in the finished beer come from non-biological uh, things that we're putting in there, like like lemongrass, like ginger. So we So we're making soup on the one hand, and then we're really trying to figure out, say, for example, the right cooking technique for that soup. So you have the raw ingredients, and then you have the cooking part. And to us, the fermentation is is, an, is more analogous, perhaps, to the cooking part of the thing. When I was uh, just a baby wine critic and trying to get my head around things, I'd always talk to winemakers, and they'd be like, and I used 1%, you know, Pinot Nero, and that was uh, changed everything. And I, my first instinct was very skeptical. I was like, how can 1% of anything make that big a difference? And then people were like, well, think about, you know, when you make uh, soup, you put 1% of cayenne, that's going to make a difference. I was like, oh, okay. I kind of get my head around this. So do each, I mean, you must have a reason to to add each of these little micro dudes that you're adding. Yeah, we do. And I think a lot of the time what happens with sour beer is that it gets put in this black box and, and the words like wild and spontaneous get thrown around a lot. And what that what that kind of does is it it gives brewers an excuse to not understand what's happening, but it also creates this air of mystery around it, which is sometimes useful. Um, but you know, I, I think that it's important uh, for for us as as producers to understand you know, at least roughly what's happening in this fermentation. And so our our barrel culture contains multitudes. It's got all sorts of different acid producers and and yeasts in there. And I couldn't tell you to a one what exactly they all are, but I understand the major players and I know what they're doing. And I because you and, have you maintain at Fair State, you know, kind of slur, the same way people keep a sourdough starter, you keep a certain amount of this kind of slurry from the bottom of a good batch of beer that yep. you can then just keep moving around, move forward. Yeah, and you you have to kind of point it in the right direction over over generations because we do get we get genetic drift actually very quickly. Because yeast reproduces so fast that you have multiple generations in in one fermentation, and so you do end up having this genetic drift, and so you have to push it back in the direction that you want it to go, either by starting over or adding some culture that you know is predictable. But you know, I think it's we that we can manipulate the environment that the the yeast and microorganisms do their work in by making different wort like a different substrate essentially, but also we can manipulate the final product by. Um, selecting what organisms go in so if we're looking for like extra super funk or if we're looking for like a really sort of lemony kind of thing you know we would go a couple different directions for those two different things that's very interesting and so this festival that you're having next weekend is called it's called mixed culture it's happening at your original tap room so it's smaller than versions you've done before and you've got people coming from around the country uh suarez family brewery from livingston threes brewing from brooklyn uh, you know, Forager from Rochester, people don't get down there very much. Uh, Funk Factory, Madison, Wisconsin. I mean, just it's kind of a who's who. So what is, you know, you you know more about this than anyone. What is the, what do you get? What are the flavor differences? What are the, what's going to happen at Mixed Culture that I'm going to walk around and I'm going to taste different beers and what am I going to be experiencing? So uh, it's actually on the 16th, which I think is two, two weeks from now. Two weeks from now. Oh, sorry. Thank right? you. I think. Anyway, right. um, so we're super excited about this. I think this is – we've seen this as a trend naturally where, where breweries will throw beer festivals. 
And what you end up with is a really well curated list of, of producers. And in this case, it just so happens to be almost exclusively people that we know personally or people that we've admired for a really long time and went out on a limb and invited them and they said yes. So I think what you're going to see is a really, really wide gamut of, of different palettes. Because so you mentioned Suarez family first. Dan Suarez was a brewer at Hill Farmstead in New York, which is a very famous brewery. And he he has a very particular vision for every beer that that he makes. And and uh, I I really admire what they do because they're very good at not straying from that vision. So his beers are all very stripped down, very simple, very pointed, very well well put together. So you're gonna and they're bringing lager beer and they're bringing sour beer. We basically told everybody to bring their favorite stuff. Whatever it is, just bring it. So, you know, if you walk over to them and you talk to Dan, who's going to be there, and say, and just drink pills and then drink some of their what they call country beer side by side, I think it's a really nice through line where you can learn something about that brewer. And we've got friends coming from Texas. Jester King will be there. And for them, it's all about place. So their beers always involve as many local ingredients as is humanly possible. So there's going to be you know, you sit there and, and learn something about the Texas Hill Country. Ditto Fontaflora from Morganton, North Carolina, another friend of mine who works there. They they actually, their big festival is next weekend. It's called State of Origin. And they do crazy things with local fruit, and uh, they make kvass. Because like, local fruit comes stuff. with its own wrapping Absolutely. of interesting bacteria. Totally, okay. yep. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about it. I think it's going to be a good time. At the end of the day, it's a beer festival. It's there for, for drinking beer. It's going to be fun. But also, I think it's going to be um, – I'm really looking forward to just walking around and drinking all these beers and learning things too. That's what I, I like. I like this idea that it's a, it's a taste test. And this may not be for everyone, but as a, as a foodie person, I have had a lot of these experiences in my life. I, Tasting 30 gins, and that's incredibly difficult. Or tasting, you know, 20 olive oils, tasting, uh, you know, 40 chocolates sort of side by side. And it can be um, very fatiguing, like mentally, like you feel like you're learning a new language, uh, but so interesting. And you learn so much. And I find that when I go through one of these experiences uh, at the afterwards like it all starts to piece together in my mind and like i you know i learned so much sort of after it so i'm i'm excited that you're bringing all of this here i think this is a a, a big deal i love all of these kind of wild and sour beers and they're not all sour uh so don't tell me that you had one and it was too sour and now you hate them all because that's not a that i won't i'm gonna make you try some more uh it's not allowed it's not allowed <laughs> i have rules of all right well that's all the time we have unfortunately but uh Nico Fair State Co-op. If you want to find more about this milk mixed culture festival, I have a blog up at mspmag.com all about it. I will tweet that out yet again, mspmag.com. And you can also find all the details, buy tickets, everything, fairstate.coop. It is June 16th, so two weeks from tomorrow. Uh, it's just very cool. All right, Nico, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. All right, we come back. I'm going to talk to Jody from Shepherd's Way in Nurstrand. We're going to talk about bacteria and cheese, and that's going to be cool. Dara here. Yeah, we're talking about we're talking about one of the things that's very big in food right now. It's hard to to get your head around, but all of these food makers, people that make sauerkraut, kimchi, bread, uh, beer, as we just heard, all kinds of people are thinking about the wild and less uh, tamed, you know, ways to get fermented foods to have more flavor, bigger oomph. 
I have the great cheese maker, Jody Olson-Reed, on the line. She is the first guest we ever had on Off the Menu and a, a, a really big friend of the show. And uh, she's the only person I know who has hundreds of views. So <laughs> I thought I would talk to her. She's got big beasts on her farm and little beasts in the cheese making room. Uh, microscopically small beast to help make that cheese taste good. And Jody is on the phone. Jody, welcome back. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. All right. First, I got to get the update. How are things going on the farm? They're good. It's busy. We're just finishing another round of lambing, so that means more ewes are joining the milking parlor. So, lots of milk and lots of cheese making going on. Oh, very cool. And so the the sheep are, and the lambs are all just standing around in the pasture, looking cute. They are loving the weather today, nice and cool. They like to move around and eat when it's not hot and sunny. Yeah, that's that's actually that's me. I do that too. I like to move around and eat one. <laughs> me too. <laughs> All right. So help help us understand what you know. What do uh, I know that that in Europe, you know, the the fancy cheesemakers, places like Roquefort, they uh, attribute much of their success to the microflora that just kind of live around the the famous caves. Talk to me about uh, you know microflora and cheesemaking in the world of Shepherd's Way. Well, for us, we love our microflora. They play a role in the actual making of the cheese. We add starter bacteria that help acidify the milk and get things going. And we also add bacteria that are called adjunct bacteria that help add aromas and flavors. And then once the cheese is made, we have another microbiome on the outside of the cheese where there are yeasts and molds and bacterias that work together to create the kind of finish on the cheese that we're looking for. So we have a bunch of worlds to manage and we try to provide the things that those little critters need to grow and manage the ones that we don't want growing. So, And then, of course, everybody's familiar with blue cheese. That's a whole, when the blue part, that's something else. Yes, the blue mold powder that's added to the milk helps create uh, the blue that you see inside your cheese. We also have to create airways in there that we do by piercing it because the mold needs air to grow. So if you don't pierce it, that mold doesn't grow in there. And there are also things that can get in the way of those molds growing. If you have certain yeasts and things that get into your cheese or the environment, it can get in the way of that blue growing and and it doesn't. I think so a lot of people, quite the same. A lot of people have seen that. Sometimes you'll see a slice of blue cheese, and it'll have just you know very symmetrical lines, and that's that's piercing with a, a tool yep. of some sort to to make a space for the blue molds to get air. Exactly, and all of these little critters need the right acidity in their environment, the right amount of water, air to feed them, so that they can they can grow and. We add things to the outside and to the milk, but there are also um, microflora that are just in your environment that are in your air, and they add a unique aspect to your cheese that reflects your specific environment if you if you let them show up. So. Okay, I want to talk to you about that, but let me just add one more so the people that don't know. When you see something like a brie or a camembert and it has that nice bloomy exterior... That's not like frosting. What is that? That's another mold and sometimes a yeast that grow and work together. It's either a Penicillium camberti or a Penicillium candidum that make the white 
fluff, and sometimes you see the cheese that's kind of brainy looking, oh, yeah. and that's a yeast. That's we call that's a geo, a geotrichum candidum, another yeast, and those two can often work together to create the kind of felted mold that you want to see on the outside. Okay, so you are an esteemed cheesemaker. You're one of our country's best cheesemakers. You have all kinds of gold medals to prove it. When you're thinking about making cheese, you know, so you have these different options, right? You have a catalog of different yeasts and molds that you could buy. Tell me how you kind of arrive at the at the flavor profiles. Let's kind of walk us through it. Well, you can start with the recipe the way you would with, say, chocolate chip cookies. You can start with a recipe and then start tweaking it. Um, most of the time I start with what do I want it to be like in the end and which bacterias and flavors are going to get me there along with the techniques. So same way with a recipe, you might try it one time and say this needs a little something. So you go a different direction. Um, my most recent cheese that we have is called Sogan, and that one I really wanted to reflect our farm, more like a a farmer cheese, a tome or a toma. So I let the exterior of that one um, grow a more varied assortment of molds on the outside so we could see what grows here most readily. So how much of what I taste when I'm tasting Shepherd's Way is from... Your farm from Minnesota is this native, you know, what we in wine we call it terroir, it's the flavor of the place. Uh, So, obviously, there's the flavor of the place that comes from the milk, right? From the the used, eating the lovely southern Minnesota grass. Like, there's those flavors. But then, what are what's the bacterial component that is native to here? Well, that's a whole area that's just really starting to be studied more intensively. Benjamin Wolf is one of the scientists that's leading that, and Jasper Hill is another cheese maker that is working in that area where we're really starting to explore what are some of the native bacterias and molds and yeasts to each area. So um, here, like you said, the milk is the canvas. And what our sheep eat uh, affects the milk. So that comes through in a real subtle ways. Um, there are certain molds that are more common in different areas. So some of the more subtle flavors from the affinage, from the finishing, are what would reflect the farm. Someday I hope to be able to tell you all of the specific names, but it's a really new area of research. So the affinage, that's what the fancy French term that means kind of all the stuff that you do toward a, towards the end of the process, right? Exactly. So if there are molds growing on your cheese that they're getting too carried away and you want to tame them down, we brush them to kind of you knock down their environment. So there are different things, flipping and washing and changing the temperature and Monitoring the moisture in the air, those are all parts of the affinage or the finishing of the cheese. And I think a lot of people may be familiar with this from the cheese counter. Like you go and you look and this one is beer-washed cheese or this one is a whiskey-washed cheese. And so those those techniques have two end products, right? So one is you get the flavor of the beer or the whiskey and the other is it changes the bacteria. Yeah, so you could be adding yeast too when you're adding washing it with beer. Um, it's a lot of different 
a lot of different aspects to manage, but it can really lend a lot more depth to the cheeses. And plus, it's it's fun. <laughs> so if people want to start kind of exploring this in their own lives and learning a little more about how this is, talk to me about, um, you know, what are, what are some strategies? What, how should you go around tasting? Um, I would maybe start with categories. You could either do cow, sheep, goat, or you could start with washed rinds or natural rinds. Uh, going to a cheese counter where they cut off the wheel and they will let you sample and that they're knowledgeable and can explain. That's a really simple, fun way. Um, the American Cheese Society has a great website with some resources uh, and you just start out with what you're drawn to and there's just a wealth of information now about where the cheeses come from. And if you really want to get into the science of it, there are some good websites. Um, CheeseScience.org has some good technical information about the cheese making. And so are there, you know, so I know that this is from talking to you about other things, that this is a, um, you know, something that you've been drawn to. One of the things that makes cheese making exciting for you is that you, you know, this is a, a field of knowledge that kind of one of those things where the more you get into it, the more there is to, to learn and the more there is to change. Can you talk to me about one or two of your cheeses that your kind of use of microflora has changed since you started the creamery? The Frijago would be the best example. It's coming up on the 20-year birthday of Frijago this fall. Wow, we... it can go to college. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It could start earning a living, right? <laughs> so it started as a wax cheese because that was um, that was the fashion of the time. People weren't really ready for some of the wilder-looking rinds that had lots of beautiful colors and things. Over time, we... Uh, evolved that cheese as customers became more excited about different cheese finishes. We changed that to be a natural rinded cheese. And that means that I don't wax it. We wash it with brine, a salt water for the first couple of weeks. And then we let it develop some interesting molds and yeast on the outside before it's done aging. The first phase of that, we cleaned it off really thoroughly before it went out to the world, so it looked more like a, a stone on the outside. Now, in the last year or so, we've let more of the beautiful flora grow and go out with the cheese, so it's a little more colorful, a little more interesting looking, and it has more depth of flavor. So that one has had the most dramatic changes. And is that because there's is that because you just made a decision like you're gonna you're gonna enjoy what I enjoy world or is it because there's more literacy out there and people are more willing to 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 you know interact with cheeses that are not you know very geometrical? Definitely because consumers are more excited. That was you know if I make something I think is really beautiful and nobody wants to buy it, well that's it's not going to work. So it's a combination, and as I became more comfortable with cheese making and learned more, I was able to take it in a new direction and see what happened with it. And it, I wanted to see if I could make it even better with more depth. So it was definitely a combination of the consumer desires and just doing the same thing for a long time and seeing what else you could do with it. Oh, that's fascinating. All right. So if you want to find out more, uh, Jody, where are you all this weekend at the farmer's markets? 
Uh, today we are at the Mill City Farmers Market and at the St. Paul Farmers Market until one o'clock. All right. And if you want to, f- they're they're there very often. One of my absolute favorites, and your cheeses are at a lot of different stores. I know I can get them at Kowalski's and uh, other places. And you can always find, you know, find everything you're up to at shepherdswayfarms.com, right? Is that it? Very good, yes. All right, Jody. thank you. I'm very interested in this. We're all going to pursue this exciting field of tiny microscopic critters helping us find delicious things to eat. <laughs> for uh, I think this is going to be the trend for a couple of years now, so I appreciate your helping me understand. So thank well, you. It's always fun to talk about cheese with you, and if anybody would like to come down to the farm in July, we have an open house on July 14th from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Oh, and you can see the sheep. They're so cute. They're just all puffy like they are in cartoons. I love them. <sighs> Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. All right. You have a good one. I will come back, and we're going to talk about cooking with beer. What if you've been kind of just can't stop buying cool beers, and then you want to move them out in more interesting ways and just drinking them? Can you make bread? I think you're going to guess the answer, but we'll have the answer when we come back. Dara here. All right, let's get through our beer recipes. They're all up at wccoradio.com slash menu. All right, so they're all up. They look good. Cooking with beer. Do you do this? It's just my problem where you just keep buying the really cool stuff and then you kind of want to move some of it out in a different way. It's not bad. not bad beer. It's just that uh, you need to make room because you have a shopping problem, evidently. Come on. There's got to be someone out there who does that beside me. Okay, so here are my top five recipes to use up that beer. Got number five, some beer cheese soup, of course. Here in the virtuous north, you can't say cooking with beer without mentioning beer cheese soup. Got Amy Thielen's recipe up. She is a little complicated, I grant you, but it is delicious. Uh, We should have Amy on. She's got a paperback out of the Give a Girl a Knife book, which is so such a nice story, such a nice valentine to the Northland and how how good German potato salad is up north. Talk about that some more. Number four, beer bread. Love sourdough bread. I am not keeping a sourdough starter. I can barely keep the kitchen table clean. But I can make bread by making that, that no-need recipe. You just kind of take some, uh, you know, yeast and flour and water, pour it together. It makes a very wet dough. Well, guess what? If you use beer in place of the water, replace all the water with beer. That's a better version of that bread. Do that. Very good. Easy. Do it. Coca la bière. All right. Everyone's heard of coca vin, right? The French version of, you know, chicken cooked in wine. Well, there's a slightly northern version from Belgian, which is chicken cooked in beer. And I have a recipe. It is up. It's a good thing to do. Very delicious. It's a beautiful brown gravy. Number two, beef carbonade. That is called pot roast cooked in beer. Good way to use any of your darker beers that you're hoping to move out. And here's a tip. A friend of mine does this. She puts her crock pot on the porch in the summer so it doesn't hot up the house. You can do that. Put a rock on the lid if you're worried about raccoons. There, that's a cooking tip you don't get every day. And my number one, of course, it was going to be beer canned chicken. 
I was at Mercy in downtown Minneapolis a couple weeks ago, and they have a beer can chicken that's so good. He did what the chef did there is he figured out a way to like spot weld a sort of a disc onto a larger disc to hold his beer can so that the thing never tips over. That is worth it. That was a good use of spot welding. Anyway, you should do that. I've got a great recipe on the inside of uh, the web, on the inside of the internet. I don't know why I said inside there, but saving myself. On the web right now, wccoradio.com slash Dara, I believe. It, you can see all the recipes. Very good. All right, questions have come in. Uh, loving my show. Thank you. And I'm loving you back. And sadly, I have a quart of very sour 2% milk ideas. You know, you can use sour milk anywhere that you would use uh, uh, buttermilk. So you can use it in cornbread. You can use it in pancakes. Um, I've seen a recipe that uses it for pork. So any of those places. All right. Next week, we're jumping back 100 years. Got a granddaughter of Al Capone and a prohibition cocktail expert. And I will see you here next week with them on Off the Menu. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.